everyone welcome to the recording of the through our eyes podcast with myself and Paige as Hello. the hosts um Paige would you like to tell us about the through our eyes project yeah close <laughs> enough project works so through our eyes is a series that i created at the beginning of 2021 to highlight marginalised groups and marginalised creators and people in the public eye. To date, we have had three major streams, totaling about 30 hours of interviews and discussions and panels, and very, very close to $5,000 raised already, which is awesome for various groups, including uh, Hate is a Virus, Mermaids, uh, oh goodness, uh, Stop AAPI Hate, and special effect is the next one we're going to be raising for with the July episode of the Through Our Eyes streams, which is focusing on everything health. And then alongside that, we do the podcast, which is usually every other week, apart from when things get squiffy. And then it could be every week or for no weeks at all, <laughs> where we tend to go more one on one and interview people with a, a little bit more intimacy. Woof. Um, <laughs> so. As, as uh, Paige said, we try to focus in on a few more individual stories in the podcast. Uh, the alerts will be off. <laughs> the alerts are off um, so that we can focus on the um, interview. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to submit them through the channel points for redemption um and we'll get to them towards the end okay yes. so um would you like to introduce yourself hello um my name is robert but you can call me papa bear um yeah i'm so excited to be here i have been a part of two of the through our eyes live streams which has been mm -hmm. very exciting um you know, and so three separate segments of the two streams, which was really mm -hmm. exciting. Um, so I'm I'm super excited to be here and to just to chat with you both. Hello, Kitty. <laughs> yes, Ty has decided he Especially has to come and say cat. hello. Yes. <laughs> hello, Ty. So, where can people find you? Tell us a bit about you, your pronouns, your what brings you here today. And where did the sure. name Papa Bear came from? Where did the name Papa Bear come from? Why don't we start with that? Um, I have always just been someone who is all about friends, family, community, chosen family. And so um, I've always also been sort of the elder of the group. Uh, the majority of my friends are usually significantly younger than I am. Um, I think it's my boyish good looks. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, and so I've always been the elder. And um, one of my friends just started calling me Papa Bear out of nowhere one day. And I was like, I like that. And it has stuck for pretty much the last 10 or so years. Oh. Um, and then um, I use he and him pronouns or Papa Bear. Um, Anything respectful is really good, actually. I think that 
um, in all aspects of my life, it's it's really about respect. And so whatever you call me, as long as you do so with respect, even if it's bitch, um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, and you can find me on online all over the place at Papa Bear Podcast. Um, it is a project that I have been working on for two years, which is still very slow to get up off the ground. But I keep doing these types of things to to oil the wheel, get the juices flowing. To, I mean, I've got some stuff in the can. It's in the editing stages. I'm learning. And I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at what you're saying. I'm laughing at no, the innuendo. Totally that's... <laughs> of course. <laughs> I like the innuendo. Innuendo is always a good thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, all over the internet at Papa Bear Podcast. I'm on Twitch, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find me. Not on TikTok. I have a TikTok <laughs> with like maybe three videos. Um, I think there's a generational thing that happens, there. I, and you know what? It's probably mostly mental on my side. Like I think I'm just like I'm not. I'm I get not that. fun enough to do this, but I <laughs> no. don't. I don't think that that's true. I just think that there's just like a. I'm like, I can figure this out, but I'm going to focus yeah. on other things right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can, but do I want to? Exactly. I get stuck in the the TikTok rabbit holes where you just mm. like sit and watch videos for like hours upon time, and then you're like, did I really just do that for three hours? Like, where did the time go? <laughs> it, it's crazy. The cat says hi. Um, yeah, sorry, my cat's typing in the chat. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so what brings you here today? What What is it that you wanted to talk about? I'm a talker, so I like to talk about everything and anything. Um, I think that, um, you know, some of the things that I was really excited to... I, the focus of the podcast really is um, some of the things that I'm very excited to talk about too, is really just, I am a 43 year old, sex positive, kinky, HIV positive person of color. And just creating space for people to have honest and real conversations about any of those topics is really important to me. Um, I think that regardless of where you live in the world there's there's so much expectation pressure um negativity around many of these topics right i think sex today is still a taboo topic um and there's so much pressure to either talk about it or engage in it or do it a certain way and i think that there's not enough space created one to educate people two to remind people that whoever they are and however they show up in in their world is okay and like let's just talk about it like it doesn't have to be a taboo thing it doesn't have to be pressured it doesn't have to be any of the things that the world is putting upon us for it to be um the cat's having a yeah. field day <laughs> it's like i want to be a part of this conversation yeah <laughs> i'm loving the energy but yeah, I think it's really all about those things. I, I think so. And I think that those are things that, that for me, when I was growing up, were really hard, right? I was, I weighed 300 pounds by the time I was 13 years old. And I can remember a very specific conversation with my mother when I came out about, you know, 
She's like, if and when you have sex, you have to use a condom. And I was like, I'm fat and gay. And so there's no way I'm going to have sex. Boy, was I wrong. Mm. Let me just start there. Like, I was very, very wrong. Um, But I think that a lot of that was because of the way that things were talked about and portrayed and, like, who you see anywhere when it comes to these things, right? And so... um, these are just topics that are really very important to me as a person, both from my own experience. And then also just, you know, I ran a kinky nonprofit for five years that produced a street festival here in New York City, right? And like, so it isn't just about me and, and the people that are most closest to me. I feel like if, if I had a personal mission statement, it would be to create space for people to be their most authentic selves, um, whatever that is. Okay, um, so we'll get into the questions uh, for you sure. to try and direct the conversation on these topics. Um, sure. So let's start with, um, so you mentioned kink, right? There's been a lot of discussion recently around kink and its place in pride marches and celebrations. What are your yes. thoughts uh, and whether or not that's that is something that should be involved shouldn't be involved and what are your uh, uh viewpoints on kink in general you're not pulling any punches are you <laughs> <laughs> you can blame you can blame Paige for this <laughs> i mean right. it is i i expected this question uh, i didn't think it'd be the first question but i expected it rip the band-aid off yeah exactly <laughs> Start um, as we mean to go you on know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, even just in my intro, obviously I am pro kink um, and creating space for kinky people. Um, I am someone who also um, does anti-violence work as my day job, right? So I think that the, and there's a um, a wonderful sort of thread that that allows me to sort of tug at is that there is there's space for complex conversations and that we can have these conversations and i think that the most important part is that we continue to have them we have to understand what it is that folks are are against when it comes to what's happening at pride we also have to understand that pride is different for everybody and it is a month out of the year, a day out of the year, a weekend out of the year, depending on where you are. Maybe it's a couple hours. Maybe it's, you know, every day if you live in, in a city like Provincetown. You know, I think that depending on where you are in the world and what that celebration might look like is very different. Um, and I'm not someone who is pro, let's exclude anybody. However... That doesn't mean that we can't have conversations, that we can't suss out like sort of what it is. I think, you know, one of the things that is really important to me around Pride anywhere, and when I say I have been to Pride, like for my day job, I coordinated all of our Pride events for four years. In New York City, there's a Pride event everywhere all the time through the month of June. And so in four years, I was probably at over 250, 260 events coordinating them, bringing the people to them, all of those sorts of things. 
including Folsom Street East, which is specifically kink-focused. And a big part of all of that is safety planning. And, you know, it's about recognizing that this isn't an everyday occurrence. This is a one day out of the year where we're all going to go, we're going to do this thing. And we get to pick what's for us and what's not for us, but we might be exposed to things that we don't want to see. Um, I, ha I, I think the biggest thing that I take issue with is when we, we start to say, well, you know, this is, I think there's a difference between harm and what safety feels like. I think there's a, there's a difference between what's safe and what's uncomfortable. Mm. And like really just sort of thinking about those things and having those conversations, because I don't think, um, there's no easy answer. Right? It wouldn't be fair to just exclude groups of people from Pride for any one reason. You know, New York City's having this conversation right now, the, like cops at Pride. And, you know, that's a completely different conversation from kink. But the, the sim there are similarities in, the, in these conversations, whereas, you know, it is someone's identity that we're asking them to, to change the way that they show up. I think that we can learn from these conversations how to have better conversations we have to think about who's not at the table and and make sure that we're listening to the people who are are most impacted by these things and as a community we can learn from one another and we can still have a wonderful time without having it to, to just you know polarize everybody over these issues um plus for june is Sorry, June is so big and there's so much room to so many events. There's, I, I don't think there's any reason there couldn't be more like events geared towards kink and some maybe not, but that's right. to include. So like that you may get sort of 13 year olds and mm -hmm. maybe that would be a difficult conversation to have, whether it should or shouldn't be, be not, notwithstanding. But that way you could have a younger focused Pride event and then you could have a much more everyone's over legal age everyone here can demonstrate right. and be who they want to be i don't know whether yeah. that's a, a good sort of way to do it because i'm not wanting to suppress anyone but i guess there is a lot more people in you know the lgbtqia plus than just those of legal age right of course and i think you know as someone who produced an event on a new york city public street like mm. those were things that we had to think about and i think um you know, my answer was always, you know, there were people who would show up to the event with their kids who wanted to come to the event. Kinky people have kids, too. No, uh, really? I know, <laughs> right? Like, let's, let's be real. I know. <laughs> and I think that this goes back to how I started, is that these conversations are really hard because we, we weren't taught how to have them properly. And so how do we have a conversation about what kink is? Because kink isn't always sex, right? And so how do we have honest conversations? How do we have conversations with young folks about the things that they might see when we go to Pride? And, and how do we create space for them to ask questions, recognizing that maybe we don't have all the answers or that we might need help having these conversations, right? So mm -hmm. really thinking about, yes, there are, there, there's plenty of space for us to have events that are separate and specific. But when we're talking about pride as in like the march where everyone mm -hmm. is coming together, 
that is the opportunity where most, for me, and this is, I can only speak for myself, where most of that is about us celebrating how we are different and not everything has to be for everyone, mm. but we can, we, can, we can do those things together safely if we're willing to have some hard conversations. I mean, I very much uh, have the opinion that um, if, I mean, from, from my perspective, pride should be about embracing everyone in their intricacies in their in their choices in their um uh, opinions in, in that sense it, it should be embracing people and yeah. to exclude based on something kind of goes completely against the point <laughs> yeah um and i will also say like i think you know and this isn't to like look in your community Look at the fundraisers that are happening in your community. I can't think of a single kink-focused organization group event that is not in some way, shape, or form about charity. Everything that the kink community does is to give back. Because if you, if you think about sort of the ways that kink has shown up in the world and how it's been ostracized, like you want to talk about communities within communities within communities. Like there are still laws on the books in, in certain states here in the United States where, like, particular acts are against the law, right? And so thinking about, like, the, the way that the kink community shows up for the queer community is valuable, and it has worth. And, and we should not other them or other me, because I'm part of that community, right? Don't other me, because for five years of my life, I ran an organization that has, for the last 20 years, given over $250,000 back to New York City queer organizations. And that, that means something. Mm. Uh, I've got two, two uh, um, uh, points here. Um, one, um, just to clarify for the audience, because not everyone will be from the US. Yes. What is the topic that we're actually talking about like what is that what is happening currently in new york that has sparked this conversation the the cops out of pride conversation hmm. um there are um some organizations so there's been a lot going on in the world that we um probably don't have enough time to talk about in this podcast but just a um, brief the systemic, just so that people the, can be on the same yeah, page <laughs> seriously Sys systemic racism violence at the hands of police white supremacy um and then things that have just been happening around the united states and around the world for a long long time you know um the uprisings that happened during covid because of george floyd um and then Two years ago, there was a separate march that occurred in New York City, um, the Queer Liberation March, which is different from the march that happens down Fifth Avenue in New York City. Um, and there was a bunch of, you know, really negative things that happened with, with police 
And so some queer orgs here in the city and queer folks in general are just really pushing the organizers of Pride um, to really think about the involvement of NYPD in the march. And, and this is a, it's a very difficult conversation because there's the NYPD as the, the arm of the city government that is used to enforce safety and things. And so with a march this large and public safety and all of the things that they're thinking about, they're not interested in necessarily removing NYPD from, from any of that. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it, which is even more complex and a little bit harder, is the Gay Officers Action League which is a very small group of folks who are queer identified officers who fought for the right to march in uniform and won in 1996, have been told that they cannot march in uniform. And so they, you know, to them, that is basically saying that they can't participate because they don't get to be their whole selves. Um, and I think that the, the threads of the conversation are very similar. However, I think that when we're talking about kink and we're talking about armed officers, like police officers with guns walking in pride and what that symbolizes to a community that has been hurt over and over and over again at the hands of the police. The march started because of police brutality, right? The queer liberation movement. Yes, 1969. Yeah. And so, you know, Thank you to Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera for fucking shit up and, and moving us in a direction where we said we weren't going to take it anymore. But even now, 50 years later, we're still having conversations about what does it mean for queer cops to be a part of Pride? You know, and we're saying, like, we're not saying that you can't be a part of Pride. We're saying we don't want you in uniform. And, and that's a really, it's a hard thing for them, and I understand why it's hard. But as a, as a person of color who has light skin passing privilege and has seen the ways that police show up and police brown and black people in the different ways than they police white people, like, it pisses me off. And, I have, and far too many people have been hurt over and over again. And so it is a, it's a, it is a very different conversation. I think, again, it is a, it is a question of what is uncomfortable and what is safety, right? Mm. Because I think seeing someone that represents something that absolutely 100% makes you feel unsafe, a cop, is very different than seeing someone in gear, for me, personally. Um, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. Especially with what things are like currently and considering the event that sparked Pride. Yeah. Which was an undercover sting at a, sort of an LGBT establishment where they just kept trying to arrest people and uh, the, the main woman they kept trying to arrest kept running away, which was actually very funny. And by the fourth time they caught her, she called over the rest of the bystanders and said, why aren't you doing anything? And she was a black lesbian, is how the Wikipedia describes her. I believe her first name was Storm. I don't remember her last name because I found it a little difficult to pronounce, but... They, she said, why aren't you doing anything? And then hell broke loose. But I do like that she writes, um, it wasn't a damn riot. It was uh, a rebellion. It was, yeah. uh, you know, fighting back against the police and against injustice. It wasn't a damn riot. Because it's always called the Stonewall Riots. 
and it, it wasn't. I think that's a very charged word, trying to get people to believe they were doing something wrong. Whereas actually right. they were just trying not to get arrested by undercover cops for chilling in a pub. <laughs> I mean, that's the whitewashing that we do of history, right? We take history and we change it and we remove people of color and we remove trans folks, you know, and, and yes, the language that we've, that we have used is, has evolved because in 1969, transgender wasn't even a word that we were using at that point. Um, and so I think, um, there's there's a lot of history and there's a it's a very complex history obviously between the police and queer folk but people of color and police you know there's so many layers there that we could unpack um but yeah okay so moving more towards the kink side of things um would I you always like, like talking to... about kink. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I could have an entire podcast just on that, but... Uh... That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about kink and its involvement in your life and its, its importance to you. It's, what is it? What, <laughs> what does it cover? <laughs> Especially for the people that think kink is just about being kinky in bed. It's, it's not the same thing. It can be, but not all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, it's always interesting to me because I think that I didn't know that I was kinky until much later in life. I have always been kinky. Um, as someone who is kinky, I often say that, you know, it's only kinky the first time. <laughs> Uh, because after because after after that it's pretty much just the things that you like and the things that you like are okay um and so um yeah i mean my very first sexual experience would have been classified as kinky i tied someone up right first time right out the gate um but at the time i didn't know that it was kinky it was just something that we did and we were doing our thing and that was fun and, and all that stuff. Um, and I have just had experience after experience after experience throughout my life where something was different and something was new. And I was like, mm, okay, I will try it. Um, and I will say that a lot of that was because of the fact that I thought that I was never going to have sex. So I don't know that it was a healthy way to explore things back then, but it was this, this idea that I, I never thought that I was going to, have sex. I didn't think that I would fall in love. I didn't think any of those things because I had a very low self-esteem because I was a big boy. But it made me approach sex from a, the perspective of let me learn as much as I can. Let me be as good at it as I possibly can because that way when I do do it, people will like it and then they'll like me. <laughs> That's bode well. So <laughs> um, I just, I kept learning and picking things up. And then as I got older and I started to learn more language and, you know, I don't think that I fully identified that I was kinky until I was in my mid thirties. So it's only been 10 years that I've actually identified as a kinky person, even though I actually, I've always been. Um, and I think that it's about a lot of things. Yes, there's the sex. The things that, um, most importantly to me, that kink has taught me or that I, I pride myself in is relationships. Um, 
there is a there's such a different focus on what a healthy relationship looks like within the kink community. Communication is critical to any relationship. But if you're going to be and you know, an impact I can I will name impact play is something that is big for me. And so that's hitting people with things. Various degrees and levels, right? To to keep it simple. But if that's something that I'm gonna do with somebody, not only do I have to be able to communicate very clearly about you know, what might happen, how it's going to happen, what we're going to do if something happens. Safety, aftercare, you know, all of these things just are just, are so, so much a part of the play that you can't actually have a relationship unless it's part of the relationship. And so it just, they work in tandem. And so meeting people and building those kinds of relationships, it is, it's made me a better person. I feel. Um, it has helped me to build community and build community with people who are also capable of doing these things. It doesn't mean everybody's great at it, but it is a different level. It's a different focus. And, and I've appreciated that. Mm. And, and I think that that's a wonderful thing for me. Um, I think I answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Most of it, anyway. Um, personally, um, I've always thought that, kind of along the same lines as you were saying, um, about how kink really, it, it, to me, it's always used as a kind of shame term. Mm. It's a, you're doing something that is not normal. Mm-hmm. When really, it's a... It's it's the, it's the same sense as, as everything we've been talking about. If you're not seen as normal, it is right. not, you know, you are ostracized, you are removed right. from the system. It's, and that shouldn't be the case because A, it's your own private life. As long as you are doing things consensually, with respect, with uh, a regard to everyone's uh, participation being like consensual and and yeah. based on enjoyment, there should be no like yeah. it's not your fucking business, frankly. Um, right. But at the same time, I can see that you know, ident- seizing that and identifying as kinky or someone who is into that is, is the same principle as like is taking it back for yourself it's taking it and yeah. making it your own and going no i shouldn't be ashamed of this i shouldn't I... be shamed by yeah. the things that i like yeah i don't think it was until i was actually a part of Folsom street east that i even arrived at that right like i think that this was always something that it was just part of me and i accepted it and i was into it and I knew that um, there was, it wasn't until 2016 when I joined the board of Folsom Street East that I started to surround myself with people who were openly in the community, outwardly, loudly, right? And, and that was a, a, a very different experience. And it allowed me to be like, I can name this, I can claim this. It also connected very much to just me as a person because I'm also, I consider myself to be a teacher, lifelong. Like, I love 
teaching people, training, facilitating, all of those types of things. And there's so much of that in kink, even in just the relationship building. Like, you know, this is how I like to do things. How do you like to do things? Let's figure out how to do these things together. Um, and so all of that is just sort of connected and, and really brought back. And then having the opportunity to be able to have these conversations so freely to the point where I can go to, you know, I remember a, a specific instance where we rebranded the name of our event to Sluts, right? Okay. And immediately, immediately everyone was like, oh, that doesn't sound right or feel good. But then we stopped and said, but Sluts is actually now an acronym that we have come up with that stands for Sex, Love, Unity, Trust, and Safety. How can you not relate to or want to uplift those five things within community, within your relationships, within life? And so we had a vendor who didn't want to put it on any of the merchandise that we created. Immediately they came back and said no. And so immediately I called them and I said, I need to speak to whoever it was that made the decision. And they're like, oh, well, he's the vice president of such and such. He's really busy. And I said, well, you're talking to the chief executive officer. And if I have the time to get on the phone, so does he. Because I have money and I'm trying to spend it. And I will take it somewhere else. And it's really interesting to, to change and have a conversation like that about kinky things with a business. It totally, like, you could talk about anything with anyone when you have to do that on a daily basis. And so that has really brought me to the point where like, that's why I kind of wanted, I want, not kind of, that's why I'm doing this podcast because that it gave me new perspective about how to have these conversations in everyday life where it doesn't, even if we remove kink and we just talk about queer people, the LGBTQIA plus gamut of everybody, cis white people that are not that automatically associate us to sex. It is the immediate connotation. As humans, we are sexual beings. So you like sex just as much as I do. Maybe you don't like sex just as much as I don't like sex. There are common threads among all of us because none of us are the same. But why do you have to other everybody? It's the only question I have because there's no other, there's no other, there's no other, you don't have to go any further than that. Why? Why do you feel the need to do the thing that you're doing? And far too often we are, we are exposed to things and we make decisions about things because of the experience that we've had. Um, and as just a point in chat, uh, could you clarify your point? Uh, um, of othering people. Just explaining what it actually means as a term. Mm. Othering people. Yeah. Um, how do I say this concisely? Um, <laughs> making someone feel less than is probably the easiest way that I could describe what othering means. You know, so de dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. Absolutely. Um, and so really just thinking about 
I just totally lost my train of thought. Sorry, it's just because before we moved <laughs> no, on from totally that point, fine. I wanted to make sure that we clarified it before. No, moving. I appreciate that because that's important. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> oh God, the two people with brain fog were like, "Hold on, we need to like actually VHS rewind this for a moment." Oh, oh. We were we were talking about why some people feel the need to de de dehumanize or other other people. Right. Simply for not understanding something, because it, yeah. it does seem that a lot of people, and this is, I was going to make this point earlier when I was talking about the idea of kink at Pride, and one of the main arguments that I see, at least in the UK, where we don't have as many like Pride events and things like that, not as big as America does anyway, is, what about the children? And it's like, okay, but you ain't actually worried about the children, you're worried you'll have to say the word penis to them, and then you'll get all embarrassed. <laughs> that Which is, doesn't make that's... And That's I'm completely, yeah. I'm completely boggled by that because Europeans are actually traditionally mm -hmm. hilariously less. we're the mo we're the most closeted about our uh, sexual deeds, and yet at the same time the most. <laughs> it's, it's I ridiculous. mean, come on. And, uh, yeah. and it does raise one of the points that when you were mentioning about like certain acts are, are um, uh, banned, it does uh, uh, bring to mind the uh, point where uh, um, the government in the UK banned face sitting um, <laughs> in porn. <laughs> yeah, that was very funny. Um, and that was. I think that's that's for for the UK. That's the closest we've had to like an actual outright speaking about this kind of topic, because yeah, we're we're very very closeted with our our sexual exploits and the, the, the stick up most British people's asses is close to becoming a fucking kebab. So it's just. <laughs> So I, I interviewed in a in a sex shop actually when I was eighteen. So Anne Summers, which is mostly a lingerie shop, but if you go past the like pole at the back into the small uh -huh. closet area, you've got uh, sexy nurses costumes it, and it, tip tape and and uh, sex uh, toys and things ooh, like that. We've got sex toys. Look, it's a yeah. dildo. <laughs> it's yeah, but I I was so actually. Hilarious. I was quite like impressed with the people that were working there. It was an all women team, which actually didn't surprise me as much. Mm -hmm. But I do remember the one customer that was in there was a 50 year old man wearing one of those like flasher jackets, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of sort of tan color. And he was just holding anal beads and just giggling, just like. <laughs> and somebody walked up, and one of the other person was like, "Oh, you're looking for something for your wife?" And he was like, hey, "No, it's for me." And I was like, "Yes, That's I'm exactly glad right. you are so excited about this." And she was like, "Yeah, we're gonna need to get you lube." But it was just. <laughs> it was just like, "Oh, that's amazing!" But in the UK, Anne Summers is the only sex shop that is allowed to have the front of the store uncovered. Every other front of the store cannot say yeah. the word sex, cannot say the word porn, uh, it cannot relate to anything sexual. They have to have whited or tinted windows because you're not allowed to see inside the store. And it usually just says adult or personal shop. Yeah. And like, it, it, uh, that's how positive we are. We're not even allowed to see the shops. No. We're not allowed to see the shops at it's all. a dirty 
kind of taboo but then we thing wonder that we why. cannot. Yeah. And that's only the sexual part. That doesn't even allow yeah. people to discuss anything further. Right. Because but they I can't mean, even buy lube without being ostracized. And I, I can't even imagine if that, like... I mean, I talk a lot here just about, you know, because, yes, the argument often will become, what about the children? And I yeah. think that... I think when we when we devolve to what about the children, my next question is, why is it so hard for you to have an honest conversation? Mm -hmm. Why? Because you were not educated properly. Yeah. And so where can you educate yourself? Because there's plenty of education out there if you look for it. There's been such a movement. And even in, like, I am... I'm not going to drop names, but there are companies now that are shifting the way that they do business because they recognize that butt sex is not just a gay man thing. Lube is not just for men, right? Yeah, and it, like, yeah. like why? Like, let's stop <laughs> siloing things. Don't even get me started on that. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think anal sex is one of the most searched topics for like the women's categories on most porn sites. Oh, so I, like, I was going to go right. down the whole fact that lube is is extremely important for women. Yes, <laughs> like, like there are so many situations where women suffer from um, uh, dry junk, and lube is is how you can have safe, enjoyable mm -hmm. sex again. It's yes, but yeah. Track, as I said, why does every conversation we have on one of these turn into butts? Uh, because <laughs> apparently we're obsessed with butts. All right, and, fair point. I mean, I like butts, so <laughs> I'm okay <laughs> with this. <laughs> yes, lube is required. Lube is required, and you have to pick the correct lube to go with the type of condom, or if you're not using one, the correct type to go with skin, because certain ones will eat through certain other substances. So, and that's yes. no, not to be fair that out of context is not something that i ever really want to hear <laughs> associated with my uh your lube products <laughs> <laughs> this can eat through so what, um, what? it's battery acid <laughs> yes right. oh my goodness right um I wanted to um from this you mentioned how basically this this exploration of of um sex for you stems a lot from a l lack of body uh, um positivity um and a when I was younger yeah when you were younger and so I think that brings us very nicely into body positivity and uh it is, yeah. as a topic and what it means to you. Um, yeah. I learned to love myself on a dance floor. Um, like I said, I was 300 pounds by the time that I was 13. I was not super confident. I was very insecure. Um, but I had friends. I had really good friends. And I had a really great mom and a great family. Um, you know, and that's not to say that there wasn't bad shit that happened, because there was plenty of it. Um, but the thing that, you know, really, I think, started to shift things was I was in therapy as a teenager. And that really helped a lot. 
And so thankfully, my mother was someone that recognized the value of mental health and, and, you know, um, because of the things that I was experiencing as a, as a child, as a teenager, like that was a focus and making sure that I felt like I was supported. Um, I remember I stopped going to therapy when I was 18 because I felt like 10 years was enough. I, I figured it all out. I did everything. Boy, was I wrong. Isn't everyone at 18? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I moved out of my house. I moved out of my parents' house, um, on my 19th birthday. I moved away from my parents' house. So like when I moved out of my parents' house at 18, I moved four houses down. I moved in with my best friend. It wasn't very far. Um, And just to tell you how cool my mom is, like, this is the best story. All of the porn that got confiscated as a teenager, and I had lots of it, she confiscated it all. And I just thought, you know, she just keeps taking it and throwing it away. Like, and I would just keep buying and buying and buying. And I moved out when I was 18 and they helped me move. And the last box that she hands me as I'm going into my apartment four doors down. I'm like, this isn't mine. She's like, yes, it is. Open it later. <laughs> and I was like, what? And so I put it down and I forgot about it. And then I think a day or so later, I opened the box. Every single piece of pornography that she confiscated was in this box with a note that said, I said you couldn't have it in my house. I didn't say you couldn't have it in yours. And I was just like, that's fucking... I was like, you're fucking kidding me. But... um. Yeah, I start. I started going out and meeting people, and I was still insecure. But I started to dance. I went to gay bars and I danced, and I would dance all night long. And then I started to meet more people, and dance with people. And it took time, but <clears throat> there was a very specific instance when I was 25 at my bar because I grew up in the suburbs of New York City where there was only one gay bar. That was the bar that I was at every night of the week. I would get there 11 o'clock. I'd stay till 4 in the morning because in New York, bars are open that late. And I would drink and I would dance and I would talk to people. And this one night, I was at the bar and somebody that I didn't recognize was there. I had just stopped to get a fresh drink and I was taking a break from dancing And he walked over and put his hand on my stomach and said, if you'd lost this, you would be hot. And without even thinking, I threw my drink in his face and was like, bitch, I am hot. And I walked away. The bartender jumped over the bar and was like, what just happened? Because I know you and you would not throw alcohol for any any reason. (laughs) So what just happened? And I told him what happened. He threw the guy out. But it was in that moment that I realized that I had a lot more self-confidence and more self-worth than I thought that I did. And I just started to push back against all of those negative things that I told myself over and over and over again, because they weren't true. Um, And since then, you know, I think I wasn't introduced to the bear community until I was 30 when I moved closer to the city and started to go to bear events. For those that don't know, bears are <laughs> larger hair suit uh, folks. And there are many different uh, words and animals used to describe folks within the bear community. The bear community is sort of the, 
the larger group, but then there are there are otters and chasers and you could be a chub and a bear. Like there's just so many different things. Um, just for context, but I met the bear community, and then I started to learn more about who I was as a person. Um, but then also at 32, my mom passed away, and that was when I went back. I went back to therapy after my, I lost both of my parents within 18 months between 32 33 um and so back to therapy but by that point i think that i had there was another conversation with my mom right before she passed away where i was getting ready to go to a party one night and she i was just about to walk out the door and she stopped me and she's like can i tell you something and i said what she goes i just want you to know that you're the most confident person that i know and I was like, I'm literally about to walk out the door and you're trying to make me cry? Like, what is going on here? She's like, I just need you to know that. She's like, I... She's like, for a long time, I felt like I had to protect you. And then you very quickly showed me that you didn't need protecting because you were going to do things and you were going to try. And, and you did it. And everything that you've ever set your mind to, you've done regardless of what people might have thought or how people might have treated you and all of those things. And I, I didn't really think until that, like, I don't even think it took a while after that, really. But I think that in that moment, it was really just another reminder that we're, we're super hard on ourselves. And so to have someone like your mom tell you, that you're the most confident person that she knows, you, you kind of have to stop and be like, she's not just saying that, right? Like, parents might just say something to you, but that's not something that you just tell your kid because you feel like you have to. Um, and so it just really changed the way that I looked at things again. And being a part of the bear community and having more confidence in myself, at that point weighing 400 pounds, being sexy, and feeling attractive and doing things that, that were in line with those things. Um, and it was night and day because 13 year old me would have told you that as, as a big boy, I would have never had sex with anybody. At 35, 400 pound me was having sex with whoever I wanted to that was willing and consensual participant. And that was a completely different thing. And so as I've done the work that I've done, you know, both at my day job and with Folsom and, and now with the podcast, like, I think that just being able to have honest conversations and be vulnerable with people about the journey and, and the things that get us to where we are is, um, is really important because as body positive as I am, I still have bad days. I still have moments where I'm like, I'm not good enough. It's taken me two years to start a podcast because of the imposter syndrome that I deal with. I'm not good enough. I, like Sitting here listening to myself have this conversation, I have amazing moments in my life that are gems of stories that I can tell. And I still feel like, oh my God, I'm not good enough. Because we have to constantly battle the negative things that we tell ourselves and that society tells us. Um, I mean, but I've been really lucky I, to have. I don't know many uh, uh, people that um, 
in the Twitch community who can press the go live button and not have imposter syndrome pretty much tw- <laughs> uh, the entire time through their streams, me included. It's it, it is very difficult to get past it. Um, it's just one of those things that. And I look up to y'all because y'all are doing it, right? And so it is things like this. The hardest and, part is pressing the know, go live button. Yeah. But just it, it, it is a case of that it, it never it 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 doesn't go away. <laughs> you, right. you just decide it's there. It's going to be I'm there. Doing it. Yeah. yeah. So you say that you still you still struggle with your body positivity and oh well because uh, just for context too because I. I not everybody knows this. I got to the point where I was like, I'm me. Fuck everybody else. I'm good. I'm great. I've arrived. And then I decided I was going to have weight loss surgery. And that was a total mind fuck. Because it was like, oh, I love myself. I am comfortable in this body until I wasn't. And now I'm going to do this thing where my body's going to change. The way that people look at me is going to change. The people that are going to be attracted to me is going to change. It took me two years to actually go through with having the surgery. Um, and now I'm on the other side of it. I've lost 170 pounds. I'm the skinniest I've ever been as an adult. Um, all of my friends can tell you that I walk around just going, I'm a skinny bitch. I'm a skinny bitch. <laughs> and I still weigh almost 300 pounds. So like, it, it's this very straight, like I'm, I think I was 283, but my body is very different from what it was a year and a half ago. And so I think, um, there is no, you don't arrive and just finish. You have to keep doing the work. And so, um, Again, it's it's pushing back against those negative things. It's really thinking about um, you can get to a point where you're comfortable in these things, but you like you said, it doesn't get easier, or it doesn't it doesn't go away. It does get easier. It can get easier, but there are hard days. There are there are, there are negative impacts from the people within the community. Like, don't read the fucking comments, right? <laughs> um, but it is, it is a, it's important to me to have conversations like this because it, it reminds us that we can push back against those things and that we can remind ourselves that we are capable, we are worthy, we are lovable, all of that stuff. So after your um, weight loss surgery, has it... Have you felt more yourself or has that really challenged your self-image? It's a process. Um, I went to my first... So also, I had my weight loss surgery Friday, March 13th. New York City went into lockdown Monday, March 16th. Right, I used to talk about how I hated shows like The Biggest Loser or Extreme Makeover because it it wasn't a real thing that you could like 
go on this weight loss journey and, and disappear from your family and disappear from all of these things. And then here we are, COVID. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just had surgery and now I'm locked away for however long I am, right? And so I think there were moments of it where it was, I noticed my body was changing and, and I could I could see it and I could feel it and I feel better in my body. Um, you know, the scale wasn't the thing that I was super excited about, but there were things that, like being able to bend over and touch my toes, being able to put socks on without being out of breath, being able to cross my legs, like those were things that I had never been able to do as an adult easily. And so it was exciting to be able to do those things. And so that built confidence. And then New York has started to reopen. And not very long ago, I decided I was gonna go to a sex party because I had been locked up for a year and I was like, it is time, why not? <laughs> And it was a difficult experience. It was the, the least positive experience I've ever had at a sex party. And it wasn't because of anybody that was there. It was because I was in my own head. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel myself. I was thinking too much about so many things that I just wasn't in the right headspace. And... And I remember having conversations with friends and telling, like, everyone was like, well, how was it? How was it? Because I've always talked about my exploits and everyone always loves it. And I was like, yeah, no, it sucked. And everyone's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And I was like, you know what? No, I needed to have that experience. Because it reminded me that as a 400-pound man, I could go to a party and have a whole lot of fun. So what was different now? Why was I getting in my own way? What was it about new me, this new version of me, that was tripping me up? And, you know, I don't know that I have a single answer, but since then, I, I know that I have been doing a lot of work to just sort of, you know, figure out what it is that will make me feel better. Um, new clothes was a really big thing, right? Like, I didn't want to buy clothes because I was like, oh no, I'm not, I haven't lost, I'm not done losing weight yet. I don't want to spend a lot of money. Mm. Now I can't stop buying clothes because I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, this, I went from wearing a 4X t-shirt to an extra large, like night and day. And, you know, it's those little things. It's the little things about, you know, how I'm feeling day to day that just remind me that this is a new body that I'm experiencing for the first time, but I'm still me. And the outside is starting to match a little bit more what the inside probably has always felt like. Um, because the one thing that I can say that I struggled with as a big boy my entire life was making myself smaller. I always felt like as the biggest person in the room, I had to make myself smaller so that I didn't stand out any more than I already did. And now, I don't feel like I have to do that. I can be as loud as I want to be. I can be 100% me. And I think that I could have always done that. I think that I just, there were things that got in my way. Um, and so it's, it's always a journey. Paige, did you want to chime in or...? 
Nope, I'm cool. all good there. <laughs> right, um, I'm, I'm just we just leave space for a second so it's easy to edit it all and know when people are stopped. So, um, right, by, there you go. See exactly right there. My ADHD brain's like a gap. Speak. Oh, everyone else is speaking. Oh shit. <laughs> it's okay. I, I I can't stand silence, so I have to fill any void and. <laughs> It's all right. I just sit there duking like a ferret the entire time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm very comfortable with silence as a crisis counselor. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. Um, so you said that you were um, HIV positive. Yes. It's often seen as a very taboo subject. Um, uh, the recently actors uh, like Billy Porter have come out as HIV positive in order to open a more positive discussion and lessen stigma. What are your thoughts and experiences with HIV that you'd like to share? It's so funny. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, these are all such huge topics. Like why? <laughs> I could have picked one, right? I'm like, no, let's throw everything at the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, usually I do pick one, but you, you gave us so much to go I gave you so much to go with. And I'm, I'm really, I really am. I, I, I really have to go to Artemis and go, can, can you help? Because I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I, I just took every one of them and wrote a question for each of them and then figured we'd answer what we, what we answer. So <laughs> I love it. Sorry I made your jobs difficult. It's fine. Um, I think, I mean, I am, where can I even start? I, get, I mean, I think all of these topics, right? Sex, kink, HIV. We, it just automatically brings me back. To, we stigmatize so much. Um, and that if we could just get past... One of the things that I like to do when I'm teaching folks um, as a facilitator is one of my challenges for folks in the room is to sit in the discomfort that you're feeling about whatever the topic is. Just sit in it. And really dig into what is it about it that's making you feel uncomfortable because that is the space that you will find where you will grow, right? So when we're thinking about HIV, when, when I'm talking about HIV, there's so much that is just not where it needs to be 40 years later. We still do not have, part one, we do not have proper sex ed where we can talk about sex in a way that gives folks the tools to have safe sex, safer sex. Um, where they can make decisions, where they can understand. We don't even teach people what consent is. We're not teaching kids what it means to consent to something. And that's something that we have to do every day. Consent and negotiation are an everyday part of our life. At work, at home, in relationships, school. Everything that we do is about consent and negotiation. And we do not properly prepare people how to do this. Um, I think more people need to come out and talk about their status across the board. 
I think that people need to educate themselves because we have we have reached a point within the pandemic where science has really really helped us. I am undetectable. I talk about being undetectable all the time. If you don't know what undetectable means, it means that my viral load is so low within a milliliter of blood that I cannot transmit the virus to another person. Condom, no condom, doesn't matter. Blood to blood, doesn't matter how it happens. It is scientifically proven that I cannot give the virus to someone else because I take my medication every single day. And I have for the last however many years. Um, and so when we do things like other people, when we do things like say, I will have sex with clean people, you're, 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 you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. You're not helping anybody by deciding that you're not going to have sex with someone who's HIV positive. You're not making anybody safer. Especially not yourself. Because if we want to be real about the conversation and we want to talk about it from a framework where we're not having conversations about what safe sex really is, if you think about it, the science proves that having sex with someone who's undetectable is just as safe, if not safer, than having, someone, having sex with someone using a condom. And your logic is that you're only going to have sex with people who are HIV negative based on a test that they took how long ago? How many partners have they had sex with? How many variables do you want to lay on top of that? And if, th if those are the decisions that you're making, you really need to assess where your education is and, and what is it that you know about HIV, how it's transmitted, and what safer sex really looks like. Are you washing your toys when you're, not, when you're sharing them with someone? If you're sharing toys, are you using condoms? Lube is extremely important when it comes to anal sex or vaginal sex, because we talked about that, right? Because membranes can tear, right? So we're creating more opportunities for the virus to be transmitted, but what are we doing to prevent it? And none of this is to say that you're a horrible person because you don't know all of these things. It is, it is an opportunity for me to say, there is so much education available there are so many ways to learn. Um, and when people like Billy Porter come out and say, I'm, H I'm living with HIV, it makes a difference. I was not HIV positive the first time I saw someone openly talk about HIV. I was 19 years old when Pedro Zamora on The Real World openly discussed being HIV positive. And I didn't know it at the time, but he changed my life because he lived openly. He educated the people that he lived in that house with and changed the world in ways that most 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds, I, I mean, I can't even imagine to, to do something that large at that age in 1996, right? the courage that he had to do that. And we have to recognize the courage that it takes for someone who is in the public eye 
to divulge anything that personal about themselves. Right? And when I say public eye, like, I'm not talking about, like, you have to be A-list celebrity. Like, I am someone who is here talking to you all, telling you very intimate parts of my life. And I view that as that's a privilege that I'm allowing you to have, right? Because I'm sharing these things about myself. Mm-hmm. So recognize your place in that. You do not have a right to, nor do I owe you any explanations to any of what I'm sharing. This is I'm a, doing that because... Definitely one of the things that we try to highlight in the podcast is that people are sharing their stories because it's not often talked about and there's the space yeah. isn't given but they don't owe you this yeah they they talk about what they want to talk about because they they want to not because yeah it's owed to you it's the same with streamers you, yeah. you you're not entitled to know everything about them you know that their name their their location their sexuality it's why it took me so long to actually even put out about being uh, pansexual and demiflux in um, uh, the Twitch verse because yeah. it, it, it wasn't something that I felt anyone needed to know to watch my streams. It, it is something that the person chooses to give you, not, not the other way around. <laughs> And in the early days, I actively did not want to discuss it. Um, I am, I am, and have, have always been an advocate. I am someone who, you know, I, I've said many times, my mother taught me when I was growing up to stand up for what I believed in. As a teenager, I got in trouble for it all the time, and now I get paid to do it. And when I found out that I was positive, I didn't want that to be something that I had to fight for about in any way shape or form because i i needed to figure out for myself all of the things and then you know i was afforded the opportunity to sit on an advisory body here in new york and so it's a gubernatorial appointment it is an opportunity to advise the state on all things HIV. And that became the first space because it was separate from everything else. It was a room where there were people who understood HIV. Um, and even there, there were lots of problems. But it was, it was a way for me to sort of dip my toe into the water and not feel like I constantly had to be on the defense about my status. Um, and now I will, I'll talk, you know, now I'm at the point in my life where I'm over 40 and I really don't give a fuck about anybody's opinions. <laughs> and so I can, I will talk about anything and I will, I will, I will be vulnerable. I will be honest. Um, I will invite people in to have real conversations, but I will not tolerate, you know, the sightseeing. The, the fetishization, the dehumanization in any way, shape, or form, right? And so I think my goal with the podcast and with having conversations like this is to just 
we need examples of it. We need people to show us how it's done. And it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, because I'm not perfect. Um, but we have to keep doing it so that more people want to do it, and we can help each other. We need to have people willing to humanize to combat the dehumanization that's often placed upon people. Exactly. So, I mean, the other day while I was streaming, so I, I use the LGBTQ tag and I use the pansexual tag. And I think HIV uh, and, you know, sort of to go along with that AIDS is often used as a gotcha for the LGBT plus community because I had a troll come in with the username gay people spread AIDS, and they came in and went, did you know gay people spread AIDS? I was like, okay, yes, it is possible. There are many factors. Did you know straight people can also have and spread AIDS? Did you know that not everyone is either gay or straight? There's so yeah. many more things here. And then the troll said nothing else and just left. It was like, what did you yeah. expect? What I was going to say, did you, did you know that it can be spread through breast milk? Um... Yeah. There's so yeah. many more things here than just, ha, uh, the idea of butts is funny to me. Uh, it all just comes back to homophobia and people not yeah. having any education or willing yeah. to try. And like, and I understand because I don't know a ton about HIV myself. But I know enough not to be like, oh, it's the worst thing in the world and it only happens to the gays. It's like, no. That's not how any of this works. No. Nor is it a gotcha point. Like, and I want to... Would you do this with chicken pox? Like, for another thing? Would you just be like, Oh, kids get chicken pox. Ha! Like, but it, why, I mean, why are you so happy? I mean, it's interesting that you say that, because I have, for the last year, I have made so many parallels and similarities to the ways in which governments have responded to covid in the same mm. ways that they responded to the aids crisis you know let's let's ignore it let's pretend like it's not a thing let's tell it I mean, especially with the shit show that we experienced with our last president mm. um but you know there were just there are just so many similarities and there's also a lot of similarities in the ways that the misinformation is shared you know, and so we're seeing the same things happen over and over again. And I, I commend, you know, the HIV AIDS community for, for stepping in and being like, listen, we've done this before. We've been through something like this. Pay attention because, because sticking your head in the sand and pretending like this isn't a real thing isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah. The, uh, the only other point I wanted to bring up was your, you made an interesting point about sex ed. So I don't know yeah. much about sex ed in the US. Sex ed in the UK, for anyone that doesn't know, is usually one lesson, probably when you're 11, maybe, which is just about boys have peepees and girls have vaginies, uh, and that's it. That's as much as you get. Uh, and also, don't have sex or you'll die pretty much comes up. And then when you're 13 or 14, so this is exactly what I got, where the boys and the girls were segregated, it was assumed everyone was straight, uh, it assumed everyone wanted to have sex, but then sex wasn't talked about. Uh, the girls were taught to do breast checks, the boys were taught to do testicle te checks, let alone possibly thinking, if it is just straight people, the boys are probably meant to touch tits more, and the girls are probably going to touch the nuts more, so, you know, so maybe we should learn about each other's Help parts. each other out. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we're going to be touching each other, maybe get us all to figure out what the differences are here. 
Uh, but no, boys and girls were segregated. In that year, four kids were pregnant, one miscarried, one married a man 20, year old, old, uh, 20 years older than her. She was 15. So that's problematic. But none of this was taught. The kid that, so the, the jock kid who was a complete asshole bully tried to take a handful of condoms. Fair enough. He was probably just going to blow them up or throw them at someone, whatever. But I'm pretty sure he actually got someone pregnant. And it was like, just let him have the condoms. But no, the schools in the UK say you have to make an appointment with the nurse. You have to get them signed off on a form. You have to be told that about the blah, 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 and that you're also underage. So make sure you don't have sex with anyone around it. And it's like, this is not making any kid. I mean, they're going to fuck anyway. Let's face it, enough of them did to have babies and to have public miscarriages while still in PE class and not being able to do lessons, which is legitimately something that happened in my school. And we all knew she'd miscarried, but it was like, I don't know what to do with this situation right now. Um, there was no sex ed. It was just shame. It was just shaming. It was laughing. It was, here's all the name of all the various sexual diseases you can have, but we're not going to tell you how to identify them. So uh, women, if you have discharge, which you're going to have around your period, just think you've got chlamydia, whether or not you've seen a penis. Uh, it's just, it, it's so horrendously lacking and it is one of the reasons why the uk is so prudish because we just ignore the fact kids are gonna have sex we tell them they can't have abortions and then just let everyone languish you'll get you'll get uh, chlamydia kids but we're not going to tell you how you get it because that would be encouraging sex it's they're already to... having sex yeah it's interesting I mean, it's not really that interesting that it's exactly the same here in the u.s which is, I mean, it's so sad. It really mm -hmm. is just so, so sad. Um, I think, I think part of the reason that I was, oh, I was the most educated out of all of my friends. And I think that that was because I was the product of a teenage pregnancy. My mother was 14 when she had me. And so my family... I am I am very much the person that I am as a, a product of my family. Nothing was left unsaid. Like if there was a topic that needed to be discussed, it was discussed. And the worst thing that you could do was not have an opinion about something. Because that was a privilege. And not one that was afforded to any of us. Because you're you had to have an opinion. One way or the other. Um and I mean, that was very helpful when I was younger. Also made me very vocal as an adult, too. But it's just such a shame that we, you know, again, we as people devolve everything to sex. But then we tell everybody, don't talk about sex. Mm. Don't learn about sex. Don't teach anybody about sex, because then that encourages sex. Sex will or will not happen one way or the other. So why do we think that creating barriers to education, creating barriers to agency, having agency over my own body, teach me about the things that I need to know so that I don't put myself in, you know, in situations that I, I may not be ready for 
or, you know, that I don't rush into things, that I don't do something with someone because I feel like I have to. Uh, it's, it's, How many... it's the same principle as taxes. <laughs> <laughs> you do... <laughs> they don't teach it in schools. <laughs> yes, but, but do it for the rest of your life. Yeah, but you're going to have to deal with it eventually. <laughs> yes. And yeah. you might get it wrong all the time and we'll just penalize you for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I, I will say my parents were very, very good about it because my parents have always been incredibly open. Like, my mum is, at least within most of the family, openly bi. We know that. I've always known that. Like, when I was, like, eight or something, my mum had uh, a couple of lesbian friends. They, As in, they were a couple, not just, like, two of them separately. But they were a couple, and they came round, and they were like, oh, yeah, these two are dating. And I was like, sweet! Did you bring me toys? <laughs> and, uh, yes, we had. <laughs> so that was good. But it was never a problem. But here's the problem. Because school doesn't teach you, I didn't know the questions to ask my parents. They right. were like, oh, have you had any thoughts about sex? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm into it. I'm like 14 or something. And they were like, no, do you have any questions? I'm like, no, think I'm good, think I know. And it was like, no, you've no fuck all right now because nobody's taught you there are questions you can ask. Yeah. Nobody teaches you anything about, well, anything other than heteronormativity and right. uh, what diseases you're going to get. <laughs> and then when you have the questions, you don't know where to go to ask the question without feeling ostracized. Mm -hmm. judged, penalized in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's like, go to the school nurse. It's like, no, no, I have to sign a form saying I was there and that the other kids will know. Like, that's not what I want to do right now. That's, yeah. that's not helpful. But, I mean, especially, especially seeing as a woman, and I'm, I'm talking like, uh, you know, somebody that is cis and identifies that way, well, even though it doesn't necessarily... But I'm talking about... So myself, as this, as this woman, I got my period when I was about 10, 11. From that point, you can get pregnant. The youngest right, recorded woman, to, or so I will say girl, to have ever been pregnant and give birth was five. And yet we're never taught about sex. But then if you do get pregnant, don't talk about it. And then, oh, you probably won't know to ask for an abortion because you won't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And so it just creates even more dangerous situations. And then it creates more dangerous situations in all other places as well. Yeah. And all it does then is feed into stigma and fear and hatred and people teaching that to other people. Because all we will share is, is the fear to keep yourself alive, but none of the joy and none of the stuff you actually might want to experience. It's just don't do it because we can't be asked to tell you about it. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, as someone who grew up before the internet, <laughs> it's amazing to me that we're still where we are. I think that there's absolutely more, there's 100% better education available. The resources are there. The places to, to get, like, it's all, it's all there. Mm -hmm. But you have to want to engage and to educate yourself and to learn because we can't trust the systems to do those things, right? So we know that schools aren't teaching us any of the things that are valuable, really. Um, and we have to be curious and curious enough to know where to look and, and where to get good information, right? 
I think Twitter is not the, always the best place to find the answer to a question. I think that's the key is um, quite often it has, it's kind of under this like unspoken expectation that um, at least uh, on the cis male side of things that they get a lot of their uh, understanding of, of sex and all of that from porn mm. and because of the, there's no education they that that's a they they feel like they're pressured into having to search for that um and that being the only way to learn um be that that it's it's a dirty thing to to have interest in that um with no one to talk about it with and, and no way of finding out whether or not what they're even getting their hands on is is correct information or or even realistic mm. basically that is the only training so to speak that <laughs> anyone gets for how the actual act is done and this is where things like you know a complete lack of understanding of of um, the opposite uh, uh genitalia it, it comes from the uh <laughs> lack of understanding I mean, it's, of just it's just as bad in gay porn too <laughs> like there's the, i mean porn in general like listen porn is a wonderful thing it is it is it is a beautiful thing to watch but it is not 100% based in reality it's fantasy it's, it's a purposely it is it's a, a story and that it it does what it well maybe there's a story yeah. <laughs> but well, sorry fiction it's fi <laughs> yes it is fiction we'll send you it some more novels track <laughs> <laughs> but again it's it's like yes those things can be valuable and formative but you have to supplement that you have to learn how to have conversations and you have to learn how to you know there's so much and this really goes back to just being kinky like there's so much checking in after a scene right like because not all sex is actual sex, right? And so, you know, playing with a partner impacts play. We got a new toy. It's, it's like a whip. So it stings and it welts, right? We go, home, we go through the whole thing. We're playing. And, you know, there, me, because of who I am and because of the way that I've learned to, ha to, to build relationships and have intimate moments throughout this knows that I've got to check in and get feedback, right? How many times have you checked in and gotten feedback about sex? How many of us want feedback about sex, first of all? But it's valuable. It's really important to be like, did you like the thing that I did? Was there something that we could try differently? And if we... I hate the word, but if we normalize those behaviors, if we normalize, fuck everybody else, literally and figuratively, if you want to. It's <laughs> about to say with consent, with consent, with consent. See, this is this is why I think that really, at least some 
form of of education should be um uh made around bdsm because the that in itself teaches you about that check-in that that understanding um uh, someone outside of yourself that um the whole trial and error aspect the expansion and exploration rather than just being like well i stick this in there and it's all good right yeah and i and i and i talked to a lot of kinky people and one of the one of the bigger things that i've learned from talking to kinky people is the fear of failure like just because kinky people do these things and they're they're good at the things that they're doing doesn't mean that that's not a real thing right and so and we all have that we all have the fear of failure none of us want to fail at anything and i'm here to tell you that failing is how you learn and you grow you make mistakes you fuck up you learn it's when you're repeating the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result that there's a problem but fuck it up the 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 tagline of my podcast is i'm here to fuck up the narrative because we've got to fuck it up. We've got, to, we've got to pause and take stock of how much of this is me telling me I can't do something versus how much of this is me thinking that the world has told me that I can't do something. You know, and so, and it's all of these things. It's all, of, like, I think these all, they're very different topics and then we can go very different places with all of them, but they all are, there's very many similarities we are learning conversation today that communication is extremely important checking in with our partners and ourselves is really important consent is really important i was about to say it 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 very much is like consent in the sense of that just because you say yes to something at the start doesn't mean that you can't say no later down the line um In all yeah. aspects, you can change your mind, and or yeah. things are not going how you would have wanted them to go, and it it, it that applies to so much of that. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I think it's those those are like my three buzzwords: it's consent, negotiation, and disclosure. Right, like those three things, regardless of what topic it is that you're talking about you really do have to think about them you have to think about where you are in your proximity to the topic that you're talking about who you're having the conversation with and creating space for people you know um okay um i think now is our time for audience questions because i think we covered the last question that i had uh <laughs> being about sex education and uh talking about it so <laughs> we went all over the place with that one mm-hmm. for real mm-hmm. i did have one further point i wanted to add as well just on the topic again of education and things like that um that kind of just dawned on me then it's like all the sex education that you tend to get even up to like the age of 18 and a lot through porn and things like that as well completely erases the existence of lgbt people 
and it's never considered and especially when yeah. it comes to things like ace people as well because mm -hmm. i didn't even know ace people exist until i was like 23 or something like that because it just it never it never came up but then i'm thinking like so speaking as as a woman who grew up you know seeing women in lots of media even from a kid even from kids tv shows there would be the insinuation of sex and there would often be if it was a straight relationship the man getting angry or dissing his partner because he didn't get sex or the idea that you will be dumped if you do not have sex mm -hmm. or the oh she's a shit lay we're gonna sleep with somebody else and all of this through all of the the content you get as a young woman tells you that if you don't put out you will be hated and i just why is this something we're teaching kids but not safe sex yeah. Why are we teaching them how to be a dutiful wife, but not how to actually say no to shit? I mean, the level of white supremacy, patriarchy, misogyny mm -hmm. that shows up in our media is just, it's ridiculous. And it, like, you're absolutely right. Like, we don't want to teach people about things, but then every representation that we put in front of them is the wrong one. There's no girl says no to boy boy goes oh shit sorry there's yeah. just there's just oh she wouldn't shag me so i shagged her mate and now she's crying ha it's just mm -hmm. what but yeah even from like kids not wanting to kiss other kids in like tv shows all the way up to watching the parents in this children orientated film divorcing because they aren't having sex anymore it's like why yeah. is everything devolving to sex when there's so much more to everything uh, why is that the thing? Because kids aren't understand, and I know that we're not just specifically talking about sex, especially when it comes to kink and things. But in how relationships are represented, it just seems to be put out or fuck off. Yeah. Like no matter what age you are, and it's just it really frustrates me because nobody is taught to be anything other than a performance. And then yeah. nobody likes the performance. No woman is constantly orgasming during sex, but that's what porn often shows because it's a performance and it's a fantasy. And no dude that I've ever met can go for three hours and the woman still enjoy it because that's basically just fucking sandpaper at that point. And it's not enjoyable. And also that's just, that's not got to be fun for the dude as well. Your legs are going to be hurting. Like, <laughs> like, None of this is actually realistic, exactly. and yet we're being told if you don't do this, you're going to be dead and alone forever. Like, that's it. And that carries over into our relationships because then our relationships yeah. become performative, even outside of sex. Mm -hmm. We have to, we can't, we can't like the things that we like because if we don't like the same things, then you're not going to like me as much as you should like me. Or we have to do everything together because if we're not, then there's a problem. You know, and let's not even talk about how much polyamory or being polysexual is just mm. not even, it's nowhere. Everything yeah. is, everything is about polygamy and it's wrong and it's against the law. And and it's, again, I think very much, a, a, a well, an issue caused by white people, especially when you look at the idea of the nuclear family and the, yeah. no, it's two parents and children and a dog. And it's like, it doesn't have to be. Right. Also, those two parents don't have to be men and women. It could just be one person. It, it could be 
you know, two women and a, a male figure. It could be neither. It could be yeah. two non-binary people, but heck, let's not ever suggest they could be MB, you know. I mean, it's... it all originates from um, the good Christian uh, uh, family ideal. Um, it's... That's, that's how it was aimed to uh, um, make people behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. uh, which is where a lot of this stems from, is the taboo of sex, the taboo of, of doing anything that isn't normal, um, being anything other than uh, het is... It, that it, that's where it all stems from. Um, not that well, it's seen as seen as sin, and yeah. it all just goes back to religion. Then, which is a totally other thing. Yeah, but, uh, as I said, not not that I'm like. If it, your religion is is your choice, you're you're um, uh, um, welcome to your um, views and and beliefs and such forth, but that is where yeah, it originates so from. There much. is. Yeah. I mean, so much of the law in the United States is based on religion. Yeah. And it was so interesting that, like, the whole thing was, like, we're going to separate church and state, but all of the laws were always about the church anyway. And mm. it's the same, and that's just the way that history has been. Yeah. Is that the law was used to enforce what the church believed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the same thing with the, um, uh, marriage rights and such mm. forth is yeah despite the fact that one of the people that people love to like tout as a great christian was henry the eighth who actually created the idea of divorce because he wanted to stop porking one woman and wanted to fuck another to have a different type of kid like that how how is that a, a good christian relationship no actually they had to make an entire new church like Organized religion, I find, is often the problem, not belief. Belief is a right. personal thing. Organized right. religion is a monetary thing, often. Exactly. And it's about controlling people. Like it, it really, it really frustrates me. It really frustrates me because then people use that to other and dehumanize others based on a exactly. book they say was written by a man who lives in clouds, but actually, no, it was rewritten multiple times by courts in Rome because they wanted to take out certain sections and the sections they say are, are sin are about men bubbing each other but actually there's way more about uh, you know actually hating other people and not allowing people to live as they are but of course that doesn't fit people's you know prerogatives and doesn't they, they very much some people will obviously just pick and choose what parts they decide are sins there's so much more love than there is hate but everyone focuses on the hate. Yeah. And it's understandable to a point that we, like, as humans are sort of geared to remember negative experiences and things, because yes. in, you know, from living out in the wild, remembering that lion bad, cave good for safety, that's a good thing, you know, not to go near the thing that's going to eat you. But it doesn't work in a modern society. Right. Because we're just afraid of all the wrong things that we don't understand. It's not as simple as lion bad, shelter good anymore. Yeah. We have these things. We know these things. It's time to learn the other things that we didn't have, you know, the headspace to know about then because we wouldn't have survived the fucking lion. I don't know why lions always come into my analogy, but they always do. <laughs> big cats. Big cats. Yeah, it's probably you, just, you just like big kitties. It's always... It's just him. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, are there any <laughs> audience questions uh, before we finish up here? I'll uh, leave it for a few minutes to see if uh, anyone wants to submit a question. Or is I there anything a... else specific you want to bring up, Papa Bear? Um, no, we've talked about so much. This has been <laughs> so much fun. Oh, dear. Um, well, what are your plans with your podcast then? Like, when are things looking to get started up? And oh, I wish that I knew. Um, so it's been a... It's been a journey. Um, I think, you know, I start, I think I started to think about wanting to do it two years ago. I actually was a guest on a podcast and I had so much fun and I was like, I could do this. I want to do this. And so I did things that made it so that I had to do it. Like I bought a website. I spent money, like to, to <laughs> yeah. hold myself accountable. Um, started building up social media things, but then never did anything with it. And then COVID happened and I was like, ugh. Then COVID happened and everybody was creating a podcast. And I was like, well, then I'm just doing it because everybody else is doing it. And I don't want to feel like that. And so I, I struggled a lot with that. Um, I went to a, a, my closest knit friends and said, you know, I'm, ha I'm struggling with this. I am aware that I'm capable of doing things, but I'm afraid. And I don't know why I'm afraid, but I need help. And so they said, well, we'll do it with you. We will be your panel of people. Like, we'll just do it together. And we can talk about stuff. And that felt great. And we, um, we've recorded two episodes so far. Um, and I've just hit a snag with editing and, and figuring some stuff out. And so, um, and then, of course, it's just my busy time at work. And... Um, also volunteering. Um, I'm also on the board of a nonprofit here in New York, NYC Gamers. Um, and so our Pride event is not this coming weekend, but next weekend. And I'm one of the co-owners of the event. And so I'm just like super, super swamped right now. Mm. Um, but I'm hoping that we can get back to recording. And I'm slowly churning away at the editing process. Um, I wanted to try to get a couple episodes in the can so that I can release them regularly while we continue to record and I figure out the editing stuff. Mm. Um, but it's going to happen. I had, it doesn't matter when, it, but it's going to happen. And so, and like, um, you know, Through Our Eyes has just really made it, um, has really helped me recognize that this is something that I really do want to do. And just how much fun it is. And, you know, I was very, um, I was moved in so many ways. Ways that I didn't even think that I was going to be after the BIPOC Through Our Eyes um, series. Like, I, you know, I hosted the first segment, and then I was a guest on the second segment. And, you know, just sharing space with folks who do this, who have similar lived experiences, and just really got we just got each other. Like, there's not enough spaces like that created in the world, I think. And it was just a really special moment. And so that just really solidified that 
no matter what I have to do in order to do this, I'm going to do it. And and I thank you that, for that, Paige, because that really, it was just a very beautiful thing that I don't think that, and I would be remiss if I did not thank Rafi, mm-hmm. who is the president of NYC Gamers and a very, very good friend of mine um, for pointing you in my direction. <laughs> and vice versa, because I, I found Rafi first. And uh, Rafi was like, no, I'm, I, you know, I'm in a place I don't have a ton of internet, but I've got a really good friend I want to introduce you to. And then, and then we just started speaking. And here we are. And then here we are. Exactly. My God, cat, would you stop? Don't <laughs> sit on the keyboard. Okay. Sorry. Goes. Oh, goodness. But, right. Yes. <laughs> well, there do not appear to be any audience questions. Um... So we will finish up here, I guess. Um, thank you for joining us and talking to us uh, about everything. <laughs> we really did talk about everything. Right. I cannot promise that will ever change if I'm asked to write the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Memo to self. Make sure to Never write get questions. <laughs> um right note note for me too is pick one thing yeah i mean because we can definitely dig into anything and talk about it that can be said about most people who join us on the podcast they give such a broad range of things that uh they want to talk about and it's like if you could just pick one thing to focus on so that we can direct the questions because it yeah it's very difficult to know what, what the people are so broad though there's so much yeah. to everyone i think i think that's the thing that i loved about this conversation too is like we talked about a bunch of different things but we also start to recognize that when we are talking about people and we're talking about the things that people struggle with that there are common themes and that there's so much more common ground amongst us if we took a moment to pause and really dig into you know, what are the things that we're really talking about, right? And it's, again, it's my mission of creating space for people to be their most authentic selves. Doesn't matter what it is that you bring to the table. I'm, I'm, I am someone who I want to hear you out because your lived experiences and your, you as a person are beautiful. And there's, there's so much that we can learn from each other if we just pause and suspend judgment um, and we'll always, I feel like, if we can do those two things, if we can pause and spend judgment, that we will almost always find common ground. And we'll be able to learn and grow together. All right. Well, thanks, chat, for hanging out with us. Thanks for Thank you. listening to the podcast. Paige, as always, thanks for co-hosting the uh, podcast. And Papa Bear, thank you for being here and regaling us with your story um i don't know if i've got any mods in the chat if <laughs> if i do have mods in the chat could i get some links to to socials please please um, yes thank you thank you thank you go spread some love and and show some support um but yes thank you all for joining us Next stream will be on Sunday. Um, next Through Our Eyes podcast will actually be next week um, with Vane. 
which is Eek. I'm looking forward to because that's going to be chaotic as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> and also I'm pretty sure it's about bisexuality and bioerasure. Hey. Amazing. Um, but yes, thank you all. I hope you have a good rest of your week. I hope you have a good rest of your day or evening, and I will see you soon. Say bye all. Bye, bye all. Bye. <laughs>